0: Well, it was right after the intensive research of the 15 and 60. We had so much of it. We couldn't finish on Sunday. We banged the rest of it out. We had a total of almost three hours in total of 15 and 60 over the two days. And I just take took a nice little exhale. Just going to watch the games. And then I realized that I was going to have to guzzle some Gatorade fast twitch and figure out who the fuck is going to be on my third team, all NBA guards.
1: <laughs> there are some options.
0: <laughs> oh my god. Uh so yeah Let's uh let's get to work here uh on our awards. It's been two months. This is always the one that is so interesting to me because we basically have almost doubled the amount of season that we had back in January. It doesn't really make sense to do awards right at the beginning of February because there's just so much trade stuff going on usually. And so we are
1: here now. Let's get it. MVP. My tier one is one player, and that is Nikola Jokic. I he his role within the Nuggets offense is impressive. He has, of course, been a part of the Nuggets defense, and they're, they're they've been, they've done well overall. I mean, they have a one ten point eight defensive rating, which is superior to actually a lot of the MVP candidates. Not all of them, yeah. but, but but many while, of them. While
0: he's on the floor, you
1: mean? While that? he's on the floor, yes. Yeah. And also, Jokic has played a lot, so he's you know fifty three games. Like I guess he's played fewer minutes than Luca, but I think he's been meaningfully better than Luca. So how we do tiers is I don't. To me, I don't think there's anybody who hasn't. At this moment in time, this is not predictive, but at this moment in time, I don't think there's an argument to put anybody over him.
0: Yeah, I don't think so. I, I think he, we talked about how just unbelievable their offense was last time when he was on the floor, 123. And there are some other guys that were you know a little closer to some guy with 120. Luca, they'd started to really pick up with him on the floor as well. Only one player really has kind of maintained the pace from last time in terms of what the offense is doing with him on the floor and I'm sure that player will figure somewhat prominently in our discussion it's only getting more ridiculous or you might think oh man 123 when he's on the floor like that's like one of the highest number we've ever seen like that must be some kind of an outlier oh no now it's up to 124.4 they have a 124.4 offensive rating when Nikola Jokic is on the floor 21.3 points per 100 better than when he is off the floor and part of that I talked about this so in my chat yesterday is because Michael Malone likes to go to these all bench units and that does make that both that on number and that off number look a little bit better in Nikola Jokic's favor, but I don't care who the fuck you're playing with. And and I mean, we're not saying that it's, uh, you know, Aaron Gordon driving this necessarily. And of the other players, like they, that number is still better than their other players. Like those guys have missed time. Some it, Murray Gordon, Michael Borders, you know, like those guys have all missed time uh, around Jokic and it just keeps on trucking. Does, like that number almost doesn't even seem affected by who's around him at times. Like, that's the highest number we've ever seen. Like, Nikola Jokic... And, I mean, you can get into just some of his individual statistics, which are batshit insane, too. But Nikola Jokic is right up there, I would say, with the absolute best of Steph Curry as the greatest regular season offensive force that we've ever seen.
1: I don't care that some people are talking about voter fatigue or anything else. It, I mean, as of right now, he has been the most valuable player in the regular season. And... It, I don't other people haven't gotten three in a row or things like that. If you deserve it, you get it there is no further context necessary than the four walls of this season and the denver nuggets they're the one seed do you, know, you want to argue the, like all the triple doubles russell westbrook awesome nope he, he he's doing everything and i yeah.
0: i mean he's averaging a triple double from the center position I, I mean he is the best passer in the nba it's not really close particularly because chris paul and trey young who i think were our other candidates for that haven't been as good this season uh and i mean he can do everything like his efficiency is like this is the greatest greatest in his individual scoring this is the greatest high usage and efficiency and i remember like the first time we did this i think he was you know 23 usage. We you're like oh you know he's trying to like get these other guys and follow you. yeah he's crazy efficiency 70 percent true shooting but you know it's only 23 usage like oh no now he's actually up to 27 usage and he's still at 70 percent true shooting i, I mean he's probably he's the most efficient scorer in the nba with over a 25 usage and he's the best passer in the nba i mean and, that and- is that is a combination that you just don't see.
1: And for a certain person who wants to call Jokic a stat patter who presumably doesn't listen to this podcast, Nikola Jokic has the highest playmaking usage, that's one of Seth's stats, of any MVP candidate. Now, he's not doesn't have the highest in the league, there are a couple guys that are above him. You can't fake that. That isn't something that you can, I mean, I guess you could maybe goose the numbers a little bit if you want to, but the results of that are the league's best offense. And it is jaw-dropping that Jokic is there. Him missing a few games, kind of being back to the pack that way, it, I would say it, it weakens his case slightly. But that case can be weakened a lot and still be the best case. Yeah, I, I mean the the only
0: other candidate that he's significantly fewer than in terms of games or minutes is Jason Tatum. Even Jason Tatum, has only played four fewer games than Jason Tatum. Sure. He just doesn't play quite twi- quite as many minutes per game um as he does. So now. If we do our top 10 players in the NBA, we're going to start doing position rankings. We're, we'll get to that by the end of the month, probably. Uh, like, I don't, he may not even be in my top five. I'll, I'll have to go through the process, obviously. Like, when we're really talking about what wins in the playoffs, I have all these concerns about it. But just, again, as a regular season player, like this guy, I, I mean, he might be, as much as you have talked about the him alone test, and we thought, you know, the various guys who have popped into that analysis over the years you know going back to like james harden i think it was one of the first guys you kind of talked about that way where you're like hey you just put this this guy in an offense and like you know with even the slightest of competence around him they're going to be really good and jokic is probably the greatest him alone test guy ever i mean he like and, and they've <laughs> he's been largely alone at times in the last few years too when you consider some of their guard play and uh the fact that even their forwards have missed a bunch of time
1: Jokic has also been completely credible defensively. I don't. I don't necessarily think he's been amazing. Some of the on-off stats like him because of how horrendous the the Nuggets have been in those bench units. But anyway, not. I mean, he's done totally fine there. I'm very interested in the number and identity. Of your your tier two because there are some changes in mind.
0: Yeah, I mean I tried honestly to like not even look at what I had last time and just
1: Oh uh, no, I, I have I didn't look at it either. I just remember generally there's one guy who I yeah. know wasn't even considered and is now in in here.
0: Yeah. Well, so so I uh, like you, I don't really have a great understanding of uh, what I had last time. I'm I think I'll I'll go back and look at it as we're talking here cuz it is interesting to see what the changes have been. But as of right now, I have a a tier 2 of Joel Embiid and Luka Doncic. Really splitting hairs between those two guys. I think I ultimately am going to go with Embiid second. I think uh, he's had a lot of solid moments defensively this year, even if he's not at the absolute highest level. He's still a clear positive on that end. And Luka is certainly the better offensive player. And despite the fact things have kind of been disappointing in Dallas and obviously Embiid has much more talent around him than Luka Doncic does throughout the course of the season. Uh Luka's uh, individual numbers are also absolutely ridiculous. Not quite as crazy as they were earlier in the season. And so I ultimately went with Embiid over Doncic, but though for those two I really didn't have much uh to differentiate between the two, but uh, overall I mean the Sixers have just been so much better with Embiid on the floor than the Mavs have been uh with Luka on the floor that I ultimately uh went with Joel Embiid. I- I John had a great joke about it. I think he was in Philly last week. Where he said, uh, the fans are chanting MVP because chanting MVP runner-up would be way too cumbersome.
1: <laughs> I I have Embiid second as well. And little bit of pause because part of the reason Philly's defense has been so good, and again, part, is that... They've had some opponents shooting like opponents are shooting relatively badly from three when Embiid's on the floor, and actually weirdly shooting sixty-eight percent around the basket when Embiid is on the floor, which is high. Like that's that's worse. That's better than you would expect, which means worse for Embiid. But overall, I still think he's done a very nice job overall. And so that's just it's just just something that weakens it a little bit for me. And Embiid over Luca, yeah. I have those guys in the same tier. And then
0: well, and and one more thing about those those two, uh, and get just get a few things out there in terms of the stats. Uh, Of course. Uh, Embiid and Luca, pretty much the same scoring usage. Luca, obviously, the higher total usage due to his playmaking. Uh, Both of them actually have about the, the same number of turnovers. Uh, in terms of their turn- turnover usage per Seth's stats, uh, Embiid sixty four percent true shooting, Luca
1: sixty one and a half percent true shooting, and and both shooting about the same percentage on threes. Embiid's at thirty four, Lucas at thirty five. Uh, EPM they are very very
0: close as well. Seven point two for Embiid, seven point one for Luca. Actually, Embiid five point three offensive EPM, Luca is at a seven, but uh, Embiid adds one point uh, eight at defensive value as well to kind of equal those was out. Raptor likes Luka a little bit better 9.1 to 8.1 and and Luka has played about 200 more minutes than Embiid not a significant difference to me at this point in time but another thing too is for Embiid Sixers plus 8.9 when he's on the floor and Dallas plus 2.7 when he's on the floor and even if you look at the team offensive rating when they're on the floor that's supposed to be Luka's bread and butter yes Embiid does play with James Harden and Luka would have killed even for a Tobias Harris For a lot of this uh, this season, or a Tyrese Maxi, but Mavs and. Sixers about the same offensively when both those guys are on the floor, and obviously the defense, uh, and also even the differential as well. For and remember, Embiid played a fair amount of time without Harden and without Maxi. Uh, Mavs seven points per hundred better when Luka is on the floor. Sixers six point one per hundred better when Embiid is on the floor. So not a huge difference there. And then obviously the defensive numbers are much superior.
1: Yeah, and the the, the Sixers are defending about six points worse per hundred possessions when Embiid is off the floor and the Mavs are actually defending better and that doesn't mean you know and that that, take that for what you will but I mean the idea that Joel Embiid is not only a superior but a more valuable defender than Luka Doncic is hard to argue against the player Um, I so I actually I actually well well,
0: and then then last thing to that plus 8.9 for Embiid that is tied for the second best on-court net rating of a, any player in this analysis and again getting back to nicole jokic the nuggets are plus 13.6 when nicole jokic is on the floor that plus 13 um,
1: without without another all-star
0: yeah I, I mean and that's and again you know the, the, he plays probably more with the starters than some of these other guys do but that's almost five points 100 just a better team net rating when jokic is on the floor versus the second best of these candidates uh and uh the other guy tied with them it is Jason Tatum. He gonna be my number four. Is he your
1: number? Four? He is not. Um, Tatum okay. is my number five. And my number four, I I guess I'm gonna maybe need to be the person banging the drum for him to start getting on MVP ballots, is Damien willard And Lillard is start you're starting to see the outlines of the argument that's actually kind of similar to Trey Young years ago, not to win the award, but to be on to be in there because yes. The Portland Trailblazers are not a, have not been a great team, but the things that Damian Lillard can control, they have been phenomenal when he has been available. So I'll give you a couple of stats on this. The Portland Trailblazers have a I think this might have even been compiled before the 71 point game. They have a 117.4 offensive rating when Lillard's on the floor. Yeah, I'll use the clean the glass version of this. So clean the glass version, 121.5 offensive rating when Damian Lillard's on the floor. They're outscoring teams by three points per hundred possessions. Lillard has been very efficient himself as a player. Obviously, like everyone else on the planet, has a smaller role within the Blazers offense than Luka Doncic does. But 65% true shooting on 33.5 usage is jaw-dropping
0: yeah I, and I mean, he's he's having the best season of his of his career statistically by like a mile that usage is i think the highest of his career by maybe like almost three percentage points i want to say all right about that I mean, obviously comparing it's by about players... two
1: by about two yeah
0: um, okay because he had he had a 31 four a couple of years ago yeah he's never been one of these crazy high usage guys
1: right and 65 percent true shooting and you consider the surrounding talent both the talent that exists and the availability of said talent like right now i mean Not that you want to use the extreme of the 71-point game. Nurkic and Simon's both unavailable. They didn't really have Gary Payton this year and then eventually traded him. So, for, for Lillard, like the, the Portland Trailblazers, despite their surrounding talent, their offense has been beyond elite. When Damian Lillard is on the floor, Damian Lillard is the reason that is happening individually and as a, like individual scoring and as a creator. And so, like, I think you can actually make an argument that Lillard has been a better, slash, more valuable value gets weird because of the usage differences than Luca. It's also fair to argue that Lillard is a worse defender. He is – I mean, if you want to use the metrics, you want to use the eye test, whatever you want to do. And then yeah, the other – Yeah, argument-
0: we'll see. I mean, like it's one. It's kind of similar to the Jokic argument where Luka plays a more important defensive position than Lillard does even if
1: but- – he- He's also – even if Luca's limited, his positional size makes it easier to hide him in ways than it isn't for Lillard. So you could argue there's utility there at bare minimum. But the other big argument for, in, in against Lillard – so I ended up – I when I was teasing this in the beginning, I was saying he was tier two. I realized it's not fair to put him in the same tier with Embiid and Doncic in part because they played so much more. Damian Lillard's at about 1,700 minutes. Luka's at 1,900. And like when you consider the defensive value between Lillard and Embiid. He is in this conversation, but I think that – right. right. Right now, it's a little bit premature to have him in the same tier as those two gentlemen. So I have him in the four spot, in the four spot by himself, but not in the same tier as my two and
0: three. I I mean, I think it's pretty clear that over the course of the season that Lillard is at minimum the third best offensive player in basketball this year. I mean, that's pretty much borne out by every single statistic, whether it's Raptor, where he's number three in the NBA in offensive Raptor. He's number one in offensive EPM. Ahead of Jokic, uh, which I don't necessarily buy, but still, it's pretty impressive. I mean, like to be a one hundred and twenty with this fucking team. I mean, that's a, a offensive rating. That's that's pretty incredible, and they're you know twelve point two points per one hundred worse when he's off the floor that also ranks number two among these candidates so I, he's he was right there for me i think i think my my next year was tatum Giannis was number five and lillard was number six and then i sort of had a, a, another category for kd and steph curry because they've played at the same level as these guys but just haven't played the games
1: I have no real disagreements with the remainder of that. The only other player I'll mention, and again, he's towards the periphery of this, is Shea Gildas-Alexander. This will come up in All-NBA, but when you consider the kind of surrounding talent and the difficulty of what he's doing, I wanted to to praise him, but I don't think he's been at quite the same level as these other guys.
0: Yeah, I agree. So... Uh, I mean, and Tatum, we probably need to talk about a little bit more. I mean, Tatum's biggest argument is, is a little bit of a volume shooter. Most games, most minutes of this group. By far, he's basically got over 200 minutes more than any other MVP candidate. He's played at least three games more than any other MVP candidate. And he's fallen off, particularly his shooting has not been as good. True shooting has been lower uh, than a lot of these guys, 60.5%. These days, that's only two and a half, three points above the league average at this point in time. But he does bring more defensive value than... Anyone else we're talking about here, except for Embiid uh, and and obviously Giannis, who we'll, we'll get to. Uh, so I mean, he's just like he's not, and I don't know if he's ever going to be a guy who's really in that top level of MVP over the course of a full season. Because uh, so much too, I think is he's a streakier shooter than a lot of these guys are as well, and he just doesn't quite have the same chops as a playmaker or or off the dribble guy that some of these other guys do. Uh, and
1: well, and and also yeah. like Tatum's role within the 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 offense is a lot smaller than the the players that we're talking about. So we use Seth's total usage. He's at a 43. That's smaller than Embiid at 46. And Embiid is below just about everybody in this group that we're talking about and Embiid is I would say he's been a superior defender this year so Tatum being on the ballot yes absolutely being higher on the ballot than this I know best player best team is tantalizing but you need to be you need to be doing a little bit more than this or you need to be doing it a lot better individually I know the Celtics are great to get higher on this ballot
0: Yeah, and then Giannis, you know, the Bucs have been absolutely on fire lately. He he missed a bunch of time, and he's come back with a vengeance. The stats are now on the upswing. Recall that he'd kind of been basically around league average in terms of true shooting. Uh, He turns it over a ton, too. He has the highest turnover usage in any of these guys. But now that they're getting more guys back, that they just have a deeper overall team, he's probably not going to play as many minutes going forward here. But, you know, I think he's come on some. Defensively since the injury uh, and you know we still got a month and a half left there i guess it's not a month and a half it's like, it's like 40 days left of the season uh before
1: yeah. and, the, and, the play-in. but and it's not that, and yannis had to do some real heavy lifting early the year chris middleton's right. missed so much time drew Holiday, and so like the bucks offense has been significantly worse with Giannis on the floor than basically any other reasonable candidate for mvp they've also had i would argue weaker surrounding talent than a lot of them and so you do that but also Giannis. this is kind of incredible he is the least efficient individual Individual scorer of any serious MVP candidate. And yeah. when, when you consider what his shot mix could be, that's pretty striking. And so that hurts his individual efficiency. You could say, oh, you, know, you try to get teams respect to respect the shot. A, they're not going to. And Giannis is shooting 27% on threes. And all of those shots that you miss end those possessions, too, unless you get an offensive rebound. So they count, too. And I, I'm sympathetic. I don't think that Giannis being right on the kind of the fringes of the MVP ballot really affects his standing for me in terms of, like, best players in the league. We'll do that. We'll do that podcast later on. But that's not what this award is. And if they want to give that award, they can give it.
0: Yeah. And Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, again, would be right in here. Both of those guys are... 31 usage 67 percent true shooting uh, and we just we know how good these guys are like Steph is shooting 43 percent from three and 11 three point attempts for 36 minutes but he's played 38 games and Durant's played 39 and that's at this point when you've played two-thirds of the season uh, I think it's tough to have them really be in this situation. but if they both come back here post haste you know maybe they do get towards the bottom of this ballot i I don't it would be very difficult for anybody to pass Jokic at this point in time say i'll mention one
1: oh just quickly Uh, actually well we could we could do this in the context of all nba um we could start with the forwards since this is the point i was about to make yeah i actually have so i've to rant my for those who haven't heard this before for me if a player meets the the games played threshold i generally use more than half but where the line is above that it, it can be a little fuzzy Then it's just for me, and I know I'm anomalous in this, it's just straight who has been better. I don't if you for me, games played, this is an MVP. If you've been better and played shorter time, you're getting higher on it. And that's why my number one forward is Kevin Durant. I think Kevin Durant has been the best forward in the NBA. And one argument against Giannis for MVP is that he's played significantly less than Jason Tatum. I think per minute Giannis has been slightly better. So I ended up going Durant Giannis on my first team, but Jason Tatum, like that's split hairs.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't share that same philosophy necessarily i do think maybe there's a little bit of a difference between all mv uh uh, between mvp and all nba and i certainly like in my all nba as we'll get to i i do think hey if you've just been way way better than the guys below you this is kind of came up in the all-star discussion too if you're just a a way better class of player you have been a way better class player you have been this season a way better class player but you know you've played 10 fewer games or something like that than a guy that i would just consider in a lower tier of, of player i will pick the guy that i just think is higher tier uh for all nba you know unless uh, again you're just to uh, have played so few games that it's just it's not realistic you know, Kawhi leonard actually is a, a guy who's right on the borderline of that for me like if he can play the rest of the season at the rate that he's at like he probably will be on my all nba team over some of these other guys he's on mine right now there. yeah what'd you say
1: he's on mine right now
0: here we go uh okay so I got Tatum and Giannis on the first team for the sure. reasons we talked about with MVP and then I got KD on my second team uh, uh for the same reasons that that you mentioned uh you know I don't really factor in the trade request for him I would factor it in for Kyrie Irving uh also because of the the, the silliness that happened earlier with respect to him missing games uh so then uh we get to the second team, the second second team forward
1: spot. Plenty of viable candidates, but I actually felt that LeBron James separated himself from this group. He has a large role within his team's offense. He has done, you know, the Lakers have done rel- they've done decently offensively, and when you consider the surrounding talent for most of the year, it's been it was striking after the deadline just how much better they looked when you added just a little something around around LeBron. And he's been capable defensively, and honestly, capable defensively is better than a lot of his brethren in this area. So for me, LeBron was a was a relatively comfortable number four. Yeah,
0: I went there as well. And there also, just there isn't anybody else in contention here. I don't want to say that has the pedigree of him, but just watching lebron james and the way that he controls a game when he's at his best and also the way that he played without anthony davis to kind of keep them in things was really impressive unfortunately he's now going to miss time but we're doing this as of february 28th so that's not part of this uh, analysis and yeah I, I mean compared to so who else is just kind of in your universe here at forward then why don't we just establish that of, of guys you're really considering
1: jimmy butler and Butler has also missed time. He's at forty six games played, fifteen hundred minutes, but he's done a nice job. He's been efficient offensively. He's been a, a defender on a on a capable defensive team. Uh, so I, I think his case is reasonable. Lowry Markkanen has been, you know, having the best season of his career. Sixty six percent true shooting. And though the weakness, as has come up many times in these is only 30 percent total usage and for total usage, that's remarkably low. And the Jazz have been great offensively. You you know, the the things the market is doing now, like that's looking more like to me, potentially an all NBA player. They have more for him to do. He's doing that. But, you know, they have a lot of other good players. Markin in I'm sure there will be arguments for players like Paul George and Pascal Siakam and DeRozan, but for me, that was the prime, the primary universe.
0: Well, and Kawhi, right? Did you say him? Oh yeah,
1: and, Ka- and Kawhi, who was actually on my 13. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think it, Zion now is is at the point, only having played under 1,000 minutes, 29 games, less than half the season, that he falls out of this. If you want to call Jalen Brown a guard, like he, he's or, or a forward, he, he's in this to me, too. He's probably either a forward or a guard.
1: I will add it, this, too. Kawhi know. has been better when he's played than Zion. I love Zion. Kawhi's been better.
0: Yeah, particularly the way that he's come on uh, of late as well. Jaron Jackson, another guy who has to be considered, but he's actually played fewer minutes than Kawhi has, although more more games, which I think I'm more inclined to go with games in most guys' cases, but maybe not Jaren's. We'll we'll talk about that more during Defensive Player of the Year, too. Uh, You know, I mean, but if Jaren average 35 minutes a game and had played 50 games instead of 42. I think you actually would be right in this discussion. Um, so I think for guys like Siakam and Julius Randle, they're just not quite at the level of efficiency and not really you know adding a ton defensively. I would say Siakam obviously better than Julius Randle. And so I ultimately went with old foils, guys who so have kind of gone back and forth on who is better over over probably the last four or five years. Uh, Jimmy Butler and Paul George were my third teams and Kawhi again to have only played 1100 minutes 35 games I mean that's that's I don't think even 60% of the games and certainly his absence has hurt the Clippers and this like starting off coming off the bench thing you know that was kind of weird as well and I mean he's been fantastic and it's great to see like he's uh, like as long as he stays healthy like I think the Clippers are going to be heard from this year and that's that's really exciting Uh, but he's not quite enough there yet but yeah as i said if he just plays the rest of the season you know gets to 55 games then and plays at this level like he's just he'll you know he might even eclipse lebron at BMI second frankly as well as he's playing so um I, I mean butler again when you just look at the advanced numbers like he is easily the best of those all these guys that i mentioned here in consideration for third team and paul george i wouldn't say he's like so much better than the likes of siakam or randall or Markin. yeah probably maybe Markin. uh but i do think he's had a larger role in the clippers offense and you know can play more off ball than some of those guys just generally has more versatility and also i think is generally a a better player who's played at a higher level historically and is still very very good this year so i that's why i went with paul george over some of those other guys
1: and when you consider the surrounding talent the clippers having a similar they're within a point in offensive rating when paul george is on the floor compared to Markinen. that I mean, I think that's pretty impressive because this isn't the full-strength Clippers team. They've dealt with spacing issues. They've dealt with talent issues. And Will Hardy did a nice job using a five-out system. Our marketing is essential for that. But when you factor in the playmaking usage and everything else, like I, th- I think that's completely fair. I think we could go to centers because it, it should be relatively quick. Jokic is number one in my MVP and has been superior. It's not based on minutes played. and beat is number two in my MVP, first team, second team. And then third team... With proper respect paid to Demonte Savonis, who has done a wonderful job keying this awesome Sacramento team that will get plenty of praise moving on, Anthony Davis has been better for him this year. The argument you would make is that if you think Davis has played an insufficient amount of minutes, I respect that argument. It's not my criteria then I think you can get into it. But I think if the question is who's been better, it's Davis. If you want to factor in minutes played, you're welcome to do that. Then Sabonis gets in the conversation.
0: Yeah, I also would put Bam out of bio in that yes. conversation.
1: I, sh- I should have mentioned him.
0: As well. And And if you look at the on-off data not like Miami has been amazing when Adebayo has been on the floor but he actually has a higher differential in terms of the on-off offensively than Sabonis does now Sabonis there are 119 and for <laughs> Adebayo on the floor there are 112 but and also uh Neither of them have amazing backups, but <laughs> Sabonis's backups incredibly might be better. Uh, but obviously Bam brings a, a lot more defensive value. Sabonis is clearly the better offensive player. Uh, they've played almost ex- exactly the same number of games in minutes. Uh, in fact, they are one game and one minute different uh, as of when we compiled these stats over the weekend. So uh, Autobio is in that group to me as well. And then, you know, the likes of Brook Lopez, Kristaps Porzingis, Miles Turner, like the, those guys are probably another group down. But clearly to me, Anthony, Davis has been better than Adebayo and Sabonis I think he's just a better class of player as well and we'll just see how much he's able to play the rest of the year I mean, he's played 37 games Sabonis has played 57 so that's it's a pretty big difference uh, and you know Vade can't maintain like a clearly higher level of performance than Sabonis or doesn't or that game's played gap widens even further over the rest of the year I think I probably would be inclined to go Sabonis or Bam at, at the end but i think particularly as we're at this point in the season where we don't know the full extent of like w- what the playing time difference is going to be and uh, with davis just being a, a way better guy it's pretty amazing though that the lakers have two all nba players and they're uh you know below 500 you might say maybe that's perhaps that's a flaw in our <laughs> our approach Uh, But yeah, I I still, I I just can't go there with Damanis Sabonis being an All-NBA over at Davis at this point, uh, given that Davis has played enough in my mind to be a cannon.
1: Guards? First team, I had two guards in my MVP ballot. Um, Those are Luka Doncic and Damian Lillard. They are my two guards on first team All-NBA. I would say the closest other argument is Stephen Curry. I wouldn't have too much of an issue, but with how well Damian Lillard's played, I'm, I'm putting Lillard above him.
0: Yeah, and then second team for me, I thought Steph and Shea, and they really, I don't think, is... Uh, I, like those two guys on a per play basis are clearly the two the third and fourth best guards in the league this year and i agree maybe even maybe even you could say steph is better than Luca and better than lillard on a per play basis like that still is out there but you know, he, he's played few enough games now where I, I you have to bump him down and and he's still not clearly better than lillard or donjic anyway at least this season playoffs might be a different story and then shay to me again like it, it let's just go through some of the numbers for Shea and just why it is that he's kind of clearly a cut above the rest of these guys that are in this analysis.
1: There are a couple different kind of levels of total usage per Sestat. So you have you have Luca that's kind of in a group by his own, then you have this other kind of like high volume guys like real linchpins like Trey Young. And John ja Morant and Halberton's close to that. And then you have the kind of a little step down for, for Shea. But Shea has been remarkably effective as an individual scorer, over 62% true shooting, 34% on threes. But I think the strongest argument for Gilgis Alexander, and I brought this up a little bit when I said he was on the fringes of my MVP ballot is not only how well Oklahoma City has fared offensively, despite some limitations overall. Thankfully, they have Isaiah Joe now and a few other guys, and they played Muscal at the five a lot of this year. But for them to be roughly, like, for example, like they're about one point per hundred possessions week or one and a half offensively when Shea's on the floor than Luca. Like, yeah, Luca has limited surrounding talent too, but that's really impressive. But then you see how that drops off when Gildas Alexander hits the floor or hits the bench, sorry. And, you know, they're nine points worse per 100 possessions. And that is a stark difference, one of the most stark. It's not quite Lillard esque, but it's close to that. And so, that overall picture shows you that a this is a player who's playing great and b it's it's a player who's doing that on a team that desperately needs him to be that great
0: yeah that's right i mean these are the three or or, sorry the the four guys we've mentioned are the four highest in epm i think shea he still has flaws defensively but he does make some plays now and and so I, i think that's he adds maybe more defensive value than maybe anyone else that we're talking about here other than possibly drew holiday who's kind of a fringe third team guy for me and yeah if you just look at what this okc team has been doing with him on the floor and just how little talent they have I mean, their whole system really revolves around him and like he is just watching him like he just is to me if you're just like hey who is the hardest guy to stop of all these players that we're talking about yeah maybe ja gets into that list but he just hasn't had like he's had way higher usage and just lower efficiency they've had guys out you know he just doesn't have the statistical argument but the common of that and just being like hey who's like the biggest problem among all these players like to me it probably is Shea. once you get below luca lillard and and curry i agree third team let's just should we just establish they're roughly a
1: billion guys sure you can you can set the world on this one since i did on the last one
0: (laughs) okay let me know if i miss anyone donovan mitchell Kyrie irving james harden anthony edwards drew holiday De'Aaron fox john morant tyrese halberton jalen brunson am i missing anyone
1: Devin Booker. He's a low yeah. on oh yeah. Play, yeah but he's Devin, been very good.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's Booker is just a little only thirty-five games. So that, that was enough it, given this crowded field to knock him out. I think still if you had to put a gun in my set my head and say who's the best player out of all these guys we mentioned, I probably would pick Devin Booker above any of them, maybe, uh that are in contention for this third team slot. Uh I think Tyrese Halliburton, to me has the most solid statistical argument of any of these players. Would you agree with that?
1: I do. Hal Burton, leader of the remaining players in offensive EPM. I think he might be leading them in offensive Raptor as well. Looks like it. And yeah. large, large role within his offense at 51.5 total usage. And Hal Burton also efficient as an individual scorer, 61% for shooting. That's well above league average. The Pacers' offense is below the standard of some of these other guys. One fifteen point six when Haliburton's been on the floor, but they're a whole lot worse when he's not on the floor. And so, and you know, they Benedict Matherin and they they have talent. It's just that they're not they don't have the same same level of play. And so, yeah, I, I think that Halliburton, has the he has the fifth best case to me. I had him I had him as my number five guard as well. And then, yeah, honestly, and to, to he, add in yeah. a few
0: things, I mean, he's the league leader in playmaking usage Sorry if you said that. I was I was looking at some of the other stats to come up with them, and I think he doesn't get enough credit for what he is as a shooter with forty percent three point shooting, seven point two three point attempts for thirty six minutes, and he's definitely a top five passer in the NBA at this point in time. Not not giving you a ton defensively, but there's as I mentioned there most of these these
1: most of these guys aren't
0: right. Yeah. So uh, and then in the games that so this is a little bit different of a stat Seth gives us, which I think is is interesting. you know, a lot of times we talk. Okay, what are they? What are their team ratings when they're on the floor or off the floor? This is something that Seth gives us, which is basically what is your net rating in games where this guy is in the rotation versus not in the rotation for the overall team? Because that that is, I think that has a different kind of value to just capture. Maybe that captures what a guy means to a team, which I think is very important for this team in particular. What a guy means to a team, because then it's like, okay, what do you do when this guy is out and now you have to go against starters with him being out? So in games that Tyrese Halberton plays, Pacers, they've been one of the luckier teams in the NBA when he's played. They're negative 0.9 net rating. Uh they're 25 and 25 in games that he plays. They are two and ten in games that he doesn't play, and they are a negative nine point four net rating in games that Tyrese Halliburton does not play. So he is he basically is this team uh and is the team that was expected to be tanking and miles turner has contributed too but he basically he and miles turner are the reason why this team has been remotely competitive this year so I, I think when you just consider his overall efficiency the playmaking responsibility that he has the lack of other options that they really have i, I think he has the best statistical argument of these guys and, if, and particularly if you look at the uh, advanced uh, metrics offensive raptor offensive epm like the everything is there and in terms of the statistical footprint for him if you want to say hey like this guy hasn't played in the playoffs like you know some of these other guys who are in this group should be higher than them. I just don't think there's anyone else who is you know if Booker had played more than I think or had even not even played more but played enough then he would be ahead of Halliburton because I think he's been as good statistically and just as a, is a better player has proven that I would probably have him there but he just you know maybe by the end of the season that'll be the case so yeah I mean I I don't think there's anyone else other than Tyrese who I'm like like Ja would be up there too if he'd just been a little bit more efficient but you know that just hasn't been the case this year either I mean 55% true shooting it's just you can't it's hard to say like hey this guy's below league average and true shooting with 35% usage like he is essential to Memphis's offense but and he does have high playmaking but he he still you know just hasn't been good enough individually to me so I I think kind of process of elimination that's how I get to Halliburton as my next
1: candidate. Who did you end up with at the last spot on the team there? I don't think we have the time to go through everyone's cases (laughs) because there are like eight guys. Yeah.
0: I, Donovan Mitchell was the guy for me. Again, the, the combination of a statistical season and a pedigree, the on-off footprint is not as exciting for Donovan Mitchell as maybe some guys, but the he's not poor in the EPM or, or offensive EPM or, or offensive Raptor. He's been better to this year defensively, not great, but better. Lower playmaking responsibilities than for some of these guys, for sure. Uh, but again, he's... I mean, he's been very good in Cleveland. He's fallen off a little bit as like this groin injury has kind of sapped his athleticism. Like just watching him, he hasn't had the same bounce as he did earlier in the season. But he doesn't have like the greatest offensive ecosystem around. The Cavs are not a great three point shooting team. They're playing with two bigs, or you know, even if they're not a big two, total non shooters. Your Okoro's, your Lamar Stevens's. And sometimes he's playing with three (laughs) non-shooters on the floor and still the Cavs have been totally competent offensively when he's played, not elite, but very competent. And, you know, he's putting up a, a very solid statistical season as well uh, with 61% true shooting and 9.4, three point attempts for 36 minutes, 38% for three. That's fallen off. He was in the 40s for a lot of the year, but still uh, he's been fantastic and he's got a very nice track record in a way that some of the guys below aren't quite there uh, offensively. So. Uh, so yeah, I, I in the end, I actually thought Halbert Mitchell was a easier call than I expected. Was there anyone else that? You, well, I guess number one is is Mitchell, your other third team guard.
1: He is. It was a very close call though, and
0: can, can I guess who your leading candidate was outside of this? Sure, James Harden.
1: Yeah, I was between Harden and Job, ja, but <laughs> I. <sighs> I mean, I Darren Fox though deserves serious consideration, and like, yeah. well,
0: and, and, and particularly if you wanted to give him credit for his clutch play, which I do, uh, and, and I think that that may, if that even continues to the rest of the season, I may end up reevaluating his case a little bit too. I mean, these are still all of these are close enough that I think we could see some big changes at the end of the season.
1: <sighs> Defensive Player of the Year.
0: Well, yes, defensive player of the year and third team all NBA guard. Yeah. Why don't we just let's uh, let's make it even more difficult. Nobody else has really separated themselves. Jaron Jackson is the obvious guy on a per play basis. To me, would you agree with that?
1: Yes. And it's hard to quantify defense. Uh, I don't love any of the ways that we try to do it. But Jaron Jackson is, I believe he's the best per minute rim protector in Seth's stats. Draymond is ahead of him and wins in part because of positional value and in part because he's, I, I think in part because he's played a little bit, but he's played more.
0: Yeah, well, um, well Seth, Seth classifies him as a center too, which I mean, you know, obviously you got to pick one or the other, but he, he plays plenty next to he does. other bigs, whether it's Brandon Clark or whether it's Tillman or whether it's Adams. He's probably played technically more at forward than so. that's I got ask about that in the chat actually yesterday i recommend you guys read that transcript it's in your uh done prime email today but this idea of of sort of a free safety type of rim protector and like what is the value of those guys particularly with they're not on the ball as much but uh so i talked a little bit more about that in the chat but i think jaron being the best on a per play basis so he is at 27 minutes game and he's played 1142 minutes 42 games so about two-thirds of the season's game wise but that 27 minutes per game that's I mean, the the Grizz have always been relatively conservative with minutes, like even Jaws only averaging 32 this year. But Jaron Jackson, to me, plays 27 minutes a game, A, because he can't play more, and B, the fact that he plays 27 minutes per game, both because he's just very aggressive and he picks up fouls and that's just how it works, but when you're not either is worried about fouls or you're just committing more fouls you're going to be more effective defensively in the minutes you're on the floor if you're fouling more because then you're just you're more recklessly contesting shots and then also obviously you're going to have more energy to contest as well when you're out there and so that 27 minutes per game i did not have him as my defensive player of the year based on that i mean just the total overall value but then also you'd be like yeah he's the best on a per play basis but part of the reason he's the best on a per play basis is because he doesn't
1: play as many plays well and i'll add another thing in. and the reason why he isn't playing more is primarily fouls and those fouls are hurting your defense, you know. So it's it, there's there's kind of a well, and, and it hurts your
0: defense just to not like he's missing a lot of the highest leverage points of yes. games as well because he's not available due to foul trouble. Yeah,
1: I ended up with. I, I think there is a distinct chance that Jaron Jackson ends the year as my defensive player of the year. He finished second for me in this ballot. I, I can Draymond tell you, Green. if he
0: doesn't average more minutes per game than this, he will not be my defensive player of the year under no sir
1: So yeah, so I ended up with Draymond number one. Is that who you had? I, I certainly.
0: It seems like it's been an underwhelming season for the Warriors. I do think for that reason, like Draymond has actually been the one guy to me who's played to expectations when you consider both availability and how well he's played on this team. So, and the rim protection stats, I mean, he's been overall, and maybe not again on a per play basis behind Jaren, but when you consider both his position, the fact he's allowing only 47% shooting at the rim, I mean, that's unbelievable. Like, And maybe you'd say he gets, gets away with more contact than some guys due to his reputation on these quote unquote verticality plays uh maybe that's true but the fact is that he does get away with it and so that's (laughs) that's part of your value and yeah i mean you know he hasn't push the war like the Warriors defensive rating with him on the floor is definitely higher than when I selected him back in January as I think you did also but there really just isn't anyone else that stands out as being that good like, like who I don't see who has a better statistical argument than Draymond Green. it's the same thing I said back in January who maybe the only place where he's not at the same level as some of the other guys is the defensive rating with him on the floor but if you compare him to say the Bucks or the Cavs like the, especially given the level at which the rest of the Warriors outside of he and maybe Kevon Looney have played defensively this year, like they have all largely sucked, that for them to still be a 110 when he's on the floor is really good. And outside of that, I mean, I think he's he's pretty close to being the best guy in just about all the metrics that we look at. And I also certainly have no questions about just how good of a defender I think he is.
1: Right. And, and that's one of the differences between Draymond and Brooke Lopez, who ended up with number three. I want to talk about the other players I considered there. But Draymond Green can do a lot more things defensively and isn't that much worse at the things that Brooke Lopez does very well. And so that that versatility, the different assignments that he can draw being both a help defender and and, and being a like lead defender, everything else, and can take on some of those perimeter assignments at time to from time to time. It's he, he doesn't really have flaws as a defensive player. And I, I fall back on that a lot. And there was a time where, you know, Rudy Gobert was a better defender or a more valuable defender than Draymond. But it it is a it's like a comfort blanket as an argument because he can do things that other guys cannot and does those other things so well
0: so my number two i went with jared allen who's at the top of the defensive impact metrics he has played a lot more minutes this year than he has in the past as well and that's been a he's played by far the most minutes of any of these candidates at 1857 he's playing 33 minutes a game which is that's a really great number for a center so that's unless you want to. Count OG and Anobi as a candidate, which I don't really. Uh, he's played, he's playing the most minutes per game of any of these candidates. And he also has played the most minutes overall in the season and has played, he's tied for the most games with uh, Nick Claxton, who was kind of a fringe consideration guy for me. Uh, and then I went with Brook Lopez as my number three. It, Giannis, again, you know, maybe we'll see at the end of the season of whether he eclipses Brook Lopez, but the rim production numbers from Brook Lopez in terms of just the crazy number of contests per 36. And he contests 43% of all shots around the rim when he's on the floor. That's really good. And he holds guys to a, a very, very poor percentage. Uh, and the Bucks' defensive numbers when he's on the floor are still fantastic. So I, I went with him, but Giannis could have been in there, obviously. Uh, I think Joel Embiid, his candidacy is kind of just on the outside of some of these as well so yeah i mean again just an underwhelming group and in this crazy offensive season perhaps that's not surprising so yeah draymond green one jared allen two brooke lopez number three and you had jaren two
1: i did lopez three draymond one jaren two brooke three i will echo the players that you had considered. i'll also mention anthony davis we'll see where the rest of the season goes he's been very good defensively when available
0: all right let's get to sixth man now and yeah this is what we'll get to this on rookie of the year too but uh, and we'll get to this on software the year too but it, kind of my thinking as i went through all these was non-starters rookies and sophomores all suck <laughs> which kind of like in terms of actually helping your team win six man maybe less so but there just are not that many guys who really stick out uh, as even just having positive epn much less like way up there so uh let's uh, why why don't you just give me your list of some of the candidates here
1: the all-in-one metrics absolutely love alex caruso and and caruso he he is a wonderful defensive player it is an unusual case it's kind of in a way similar to jose alvarado and actually in an, in an interesting way sort of for those who have been arguing for emmanuel quickly him is that they're defense first guards like none of them have been wonderful offensive players overall Larry Nance Jr. is still in the conversation. Malcolm Brogdon is, of course, in the conversation. And my, I'll just say straight out, my number one, I believe the same as it was last time, I haven't re-looked at my words, is Alec Burks.
0: Yeah, Burks was up there too. I actually was going to kind of talk through some of these with you. Uh, I was sorting my sheet, so I I missed everyone that you said, so forgive me if I'm... Oh, that's fine. If I'm redundant with any of you, but yeah, I, I had Burks and Quickly in there. Malcolm Brogdon, did you mention him? I did. And then this is a, actually kind of an under-the-radar candidate. We had talked going back to LaMelo Ball about, hey, could a, a rookie win six-man? And then we were talking about it with Ben Mathram. Walker Kessel is actually Mm. for this award he won't be by the end of the season he started 42 percent of Utah's games of course the criteria is that you have to have started less than 50 percent and these guys who start some games it's always kind of funny that you bolster your six-man candidacy in the games that you start but Walker Kessler in terms of the impact metrics he's right up there. I think he's a plus two defensive EPM, right? He's among the, the top here, and he's only playing 22 minutes a game as of now. So that's not an incredible number, but he is number two. All right. I'm sorry. No, he is number one in EPM among possible candidates. Caruso is number two. Another guy who, if he played a few more minutes, And minutes per game, he's only at 828 minutes. That I would have considered as Isaiah Joe, who's been really, really good for OKC. Uh, And uh, DeLon Wright is another guy who, if he had only played more, like the Wiz have been so much better when he's played, uh, particularly defensively. Uh, And then Kendrick Williams is is another guy.
1: Oh yeah, uh, I I like
0: OKC. I, I should have mentioned him. Only started 20% of the games. And finally, Larry Nance, another guy who uh, the Pels are way better defensively when he's on the floor. They are plus 6.7 when he's on the floor and negative 2.6 when he sits that's uh that's pretty impressive uh that's among the highest on off differentials you always want to see that for one of these six men candidates as well so and, and again nance replacing valanchunas both due to the fit and just because he's better than valanchunas that, that's part of the reason for that but for a Pelos team that's really kind of been in free fall for them to be a plus 6.7 when he plays and also worth noting a guy I, I like guys in this analysis, who are closing games. Larry Nance closes games for the Pals. You know, Burks obviously is going to close games for the Pistons. Caruso is going to close games for the Bulls. Quickly, we'll close some. Brogdon probably not going to close for the Celtics. Kendrick Williams he closes a lot for OKC. DeLon Wright probably not for Washington. Walker Kessler wasn't when he was the sixth man. Now he does because there's he's starting and there's nobody else. So I think to me the the group that I really ended up focusing in on was Caruso, Burks, quickly, and Larry Nance. uh Who did you have number one? You had Burks. I had still. Burks
1: number one. I had Nance number two, and then one that you didn't mention but he might have been your iteration is my number 3 and that's Malcolm Brogdon.
0: Yeah, I did mention Brogdon just as a guy, but I Yeah. But he's not in your top in three games. He doesn't he doesn't give me a, a, and also the impact metrics haven't he's certainly been very efficient as a scorer, but you know, I think given the amount of time that some of their guards have missed, the fact that he still really hasn't been hasn't figured as much there. He also hasn't been playing as many minutes. So, uh I'd be very interested to see who actually wins this award. Who do you think will actually win this award? Who has the who is the points per game probably quickly, especially if the next continue to play this well i think he'll he'll be right up he's played a ton of minutes off the bench too i think he's played most minutes of anyone on this group by like 400 or something
1: it wouldn't surprise me i, I it wouldn't surprise me at all if quickly wins it that's a, it makes a lot of sense and i mean he's been good for the knicks so i don't want to denigrate denigrate his case at all
0: yeah. he's played almost 1700 minutes that's uh that is a big number uh would you care to guess who is number two among uh i think in eligible players for the six-man award in terms of minutes this season hmm. he's been getting a lot of publicity for the award but we do not agree with I'm, I'm having trouble with it russell westbrook
1: oh christ <laughs> i want to give you know russ has russ did accept his place within the lakers better than i expected but that doesn't mean he was yeah. great I, I'm, I'm gonna say
0: that the most valuable uh Six man is probably not going to get traded and then bought out it's just a just a thought and now he's starting for the clippers i believe i can't believe i can't believe they signed him i can't believe he's starting for them i can't believe he started with mason Plumlee.
1: well i i mean it is nice for something to at least temporarily cure my clippers fever so that, that's good i appreciate that
0: okay let me let me finish this out here i'm gonna go with alex Crusoe, number one particularly given like how good the bulls defense has has been he's easily their best defense player they're over their heads obviously defensively but to the extent that they've been good it's been it's been him we go quickly number two both due to the minutes and and also i think he's just a like alec burks is he's definitely been valuable to the pistons but how good of a six man can you be he he hasn't played that many minutes as well i mean if
1: he if he had played the beginning of the season i think they could have been in a slightly different place slightly not very much
0: i don't think so i think they i think regardless of whether he played they would still be the three seed in the lottery regardless like they wouldn't be below houston and san antonio and they wouldn't be better maybe they would be as, as where charlotte is right now charlotte this lamella ball news kind of sucks well, we'll have to get to, to news uh probably at the, at the end of the week i don't know when we're gonna get to it so yeah caruso won quickly To actually no let me throw i'll throw nance in it but yeah again i it, it's really hard to have a concrete opinion about number three and six man of the year Rookie of the year, Paolo is number one. Don't need to discuss it any further. Uh, the only other rookie who's even and is actually again number one in this status, Walker Kessler. I, I ended up going with him as my number two. Same. Uh, again, just you know, Walker. like It's a little bit of a departure for me in some ways because I'm like, well, you know, it's rookie of the year. I try to fold in at least somewhat who I think the best prospect is, and I think Walker Kessler could be very, very good. He might even be an all defensive level of player at some point in his career. But it's just everybody else has been so bad. I don't see any other guy that I think is some big future superstar I ended up just going with Ben Matherin at number three like he's really fallen off uh, as a three point shooter he's like well under 30% the last two months
1: i have got to relish that I have a guy at number three that, I mean, we both really like him, but you've been more supportive generally than I have, and that's Jalen Williams. I think he's yeah, been better than Yeah, I've thought about
0: him as well. He just hasn't had quite enough of a role. I do think he could be as good or better than, than Matherin. He was the other guy that I considered there, but uh, um, Matherin and, just over the course of the season, and he's just had a, a much larger role than Jalen Williams, so uh, and, ultimately and I went with Matherin. But,
1: one yeah. quick note, just because we haven't mentioned him that much recently, Keegan Murray, the true shooting, bad news, 19% total usage. That is lower than... Almost everybody. That's like that's like almost Walker Kessler levels of role within the offense. Yeah, but uh, like he's certainly
0: has played a solid role on a good team. He's averaging thirty minutes a game, and they're they've been very solid in his minutes. Have you heard they're the three seed in the West? Okay. Oh, it it
1: will come up at some point whenever we get to certain things.
0: Sophomore of the year, it's a two man race to me between Evan Mobley and Franz Wagner. Same. Go back and forth on those two. Ended up with Mobley just for the way he's contributing to a winning team with the Cavs. I still think he has a little higher upside than franz wagner wagner has been very good as well I, but i i think if you just ask me hey would i rather have evan mobley or franz wagner this year to try to win basketball games i'd rather have evan like you can find other guys to do like wagner has, has great size i don't think he's you know he's just kind of just a, a guy defensively um, you know he doesn't really play to his size defensively like if he did that then I think this would be a closer consideration so I just think that Mobley's skill set at that position he's also starting to really come on offensively at times as well like I, I think he's just a, a more valuable player because you you can find other guys to just you know run a pick and roll on and get to the basket Franz is very good at that but I think Mobley is is the guy where you just look and you're like yeah we this is not a skill set that you can
1: find I went with Mobley over Wagner as well but they are the two candidates
0: well well, in a two candidate field, who's number three?
1: <laughs> oh, I, I didn't even I didn't even go deep enough down that rabbit hole for a number three. I'm just like there are I, two. I
0: want I want Shengun. He's okay. the highest in the advanced stats. Uh, but uh, apologies, very mild apologies to Scotty Barnes, Trey Murphy, Quinton Grimes, and Austin.
1: coach of the year. We got time for it here, as seemingly always. It is a deep field, and there are lots. Yeah, I, I thought this is actually the shallowest field that I can remember. No, like I mean, I want to, you know, like
0: <laughs> it's, Mike, it's always
1: a deep field, but it's it's not as deep as it is. I, I think I thought it was reasonably deep this year. I mean, and some of it is like I, how to place Jock Vaughn, who you know didn't coach the full year, but I think yeah. has done a very good job with different iterations of this Nets team. Mike Budenholzer. The Bucks have just battled through a lot of different player absences, and I don't particularly like a lot of their depth pieces. I think he's done a nice yeah. job.
0: I mean, for for them to have the best record in basketball, still, I mean, they, they've gotten a little lucky in terms of their point differential, but that's it's impressive given the personnel that's been available for a lot of the year for sure.
1: are protege Taylor Jenkins, another team, the Memphis Grizzlies that have battled through some player absences over the course. Yeah, of Yeah,
0: I think if they hadn't if they hadn't fallen off the way they have in the last month or so, I think you would have been right at the top.
1: And then the person who, if I had to predict right now, will actually win the award is also, he's in the also considered for me, but strongly also considered, and that's Mike Brown. And he's done a wonderful job. The biggest demerit for him is that I generally think coaches have more of an imprint defensively and the Sacramento Kings, as we record this podcast, as great as they've been overall, they're eighth, they they're 20, they're eighth in net rating. They're 24th in defense. And so you can, I well, mean, Mike Brown,
0: uh, how are they, how close are they to like being respectable? Right 24th. now like I, I hoping- actually think 24th is Quite outperforming. So
1: they're card. they're at a 7, 23rd So the next spot up is a one fifteen nine. League average is one fourteen point five. So they're about two points per possessions below. Okay, yeah, that,
0: that's pretty significant. It's not like one of these things were like twenty four and fifteen or like right all separated by. A that's
1: player. more like so. twenty one or twenty one this year. There there's a there's a bunching, but it's just the Kings yeah. are below that bunching.
0: Well, now I will give Mike Brown a ton of credit for their offense. I mean, he's brought in sure. a lot of these same principles with the warriors and and, i mean i I think they while i thought the games could be a top 10 offense i didn't see them being number
1: one and And, and, on on top of that yeah uh relative to their talent level this king's defense is completely fine like i think they have one of the weaker overall defensive rosters in the league and so to be 24th you're not out you're not out kicking the field because you kind of can't at 24th but it's not a huge demerit because it's about what i'd expect and so the guy who i have as coach of the year we'll get to that in a bit but so i like I again and all like for mike brown i have no problem with him winning winning the actual award or being top of your ballot
0: yeah this my usual philosophy with these is you know for years i was like okay steve kerr i think he's one of the best coaches and greg popovich like i don't need to go for the surprise team du jour but there maybe budenholzer would be the exception to this there isn't a guy that i think of as one of the best coaches overall in the league who's also leading his team to just a great season right because i try to avoid the idea of like hey this guy's a great coach after a couple of years that just gets baked in and it's like oh we just forget that hey these guys win 55 games every year in part because they have this really good coach so but it is certainly deserving i think he's probably the one guy who falls into that category for me but the rest of the guys that we think of as being some of the best coaches spolstra nick nurse who may not actually be considered one of the best coaches by me anymore when john and i do our rankings i think they will be this month uh you know steve kerr they're they're really disappointing although i I thought kerr was wonderful last year and obviously in the playoffs as well but another guy who just you can't say he's had a great coaching performance this year so I, i like Mike Braun is definitely going to be in there for me. He's done does some weird things with challenges, but I think he's done a nice job cobbling together the rotation. He's done a nice job managing crunch time. Like they're one of the better crunch time teams. He's done a great job of empowering Deere and Fox and you know getting a lot out of guys like Herter and Monk and coaching up a rookie, Keegan Murray, to be a good part of the rotation and cobbling together the backup big situation when he could have just stuck with Rashawn Holmes all year because he's the guy with the contract. So he's done a very very good job. Uh, Mark Dignall has to be a part of this also to me. Uh, Joe Missoula in difficult circumstances. Boston's been right where we thought they would be, which, uh, again, for replacing a guy who is beloved and was considered one of the better coaches uh, is impressive. Uh, Michael Malone, still got to talk about him, surely, as well, uh, for the way that the Nuggets have played, even though I've never been the hugest Malone fan. uh, Will Hardy, did we mention him?
1: I have one more, and it's actually my number two, and that's J.B. Bickerstaff.
0: Yeah. He was on my list, also.
1: See, I mean, that's a also, lot of coaches yeah. having good coaching years.
0: Well, I but part of the reason why they're all candidates is because I mean these are guys just to mention is having done good jobs. But part of the reason that they're all candidates is there isn't anyone that's really taken their team out of the pack.
1: I think there's I think there's one they didn't take their team out of the pack, but it's my number one is because he put his team he has helped put his team in the pack, and that's Mark Degal and yeah. the Oklahoma City Thunder as we record this they're 12th in the NBA the National Basketball Association in both defensive rating and net rating Shea Gildas Alexander becoming an all NBA caliber player is a pivotal part of that story but this team being 12th in defense without opponent shooting luck they're currently 14th in opponent three-point shooting percentage and they're a little bit below average luck on a long two so if you kind of factor those together they're about middle of the road, and they're typically playing shoot first or shooty players at the five like with muscala and poku when he's been available and kenrich williams has been playing the five for them so to reach that level forcing turnovers being really connected playing a lot of young guys is super duper impressive for me
0: yeah and their offense too with all the guard screening and playing five out as much as they can just getting so much out of inexperienced players just uh, really impressive so yeah dignal was my number three i my Nick number one, Budenholzer, two. And I thought, you know, it was remarkable, Danny. I did go back and look at who I had two months ago. You know who my coach of the year was two months ago?
1: Was it Willie Green?
0: It was Willie Green.
1: I remember yeah. when we recorded, I think it was that one where I said that a bunch of my different top coaches were in the top of opponent three-point shooting percentage. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's going to do it. And with Willie Green, there are a bunch of different factors, but that yeah. was one of
0: them. Yeah, I mean, Zion hurt his hamstring on, what, January 2nd or something like that. And I think they're 12 and 24 in their last 36. So, that yeah, we'll take you out of the coach that you're running.
1: We, we should also – I think we should also mention Thibodeau. We didn't, we didn't, but he's yes. done uh, – uh, Yes, re- I
0: did have him on my list too. Thank you. Yeah, that's I mean, he's – If the Knicks get the number four seed, like that's... I, wasn't, I don't think I had Tibbs as my coach of the year in 21, but he certainly was up there. I and,
1: did. You yeah. did not. We disagreed on it. Yeah,
0: and I've, I'm have i always a little bit cowed and getting too excited about him with their playoff failures. I mean, I think it was, I can't remember who was making this point, might have been uh, Windhorst, that there was a point at which if the Knicks had lost to the Cavs in MSG, like there's a thought that bill could have been fired and now for them to be where they are is pretty impressive. Okay, we can, we will probably won't get to the surprise and disappointments, can we do uh you know what we'll have to save exactly the year not exactly the year too because we got to get on to the nba strategy stream tonight so let's uh let's wrap it here and we'll talk to y'all tomorrow and johnny i'll be back tomorrow too till then